Mel, come on up here. Two stories and interviewing today, and there's amazing overlaps and along the way. Mel, um, I thought it would be really great if we could unpack part of your story this morning as well. Um, but just by way of um, going a little bit deeper, or at least understanding more about you, when did you first bump into Jesus, and uh, when was that, and what effect did he have on your life? Bump in. <laughs> I was 17 years of age and I had not grown up in the church at all. Jesus Christ was just a swear word in my life. At the age of 17, I met a group of young people that were part of a church youth group and I enjoyed hanging out with them and I started going along to their youth group just to hang out with a group of great people and about two or three months later, I wanted to spend more time with them so I started going to their church service about five months of doing that, I um, went along to a concert and one of the musicians just said, if there's anybody here tonight that has never invited Jesus Christ into their life and would like to do that, now's your opportunity. Well, I sat on my hands. I wasn't about to respond or go out the front in front of anybody. But that night with someone special, I, I did invite Jesus Christ into my life. I asked God for forgiveness for all of the things that I'd done that I knew were probably quite offensive to him. So that was when I was 17, so about eight years now. What happened? (laughs) (laughs) What happened? Obviously, everything but lying was actually um, part of your confession there. Um, What happened to you from that point? Not a lot, really. Okay, did it? (laughs) Well... Well, I met my beautiful wife, Karen. We had three children. We have three sons. They are now 24, 22 and 20. And we uh, was a pastor, ended up being a pastor in a church and did that for many, many years, about 15 years, pastoring in two or three contexts. And, and I stepped out of that to set up a new ministry in Australia called Kids Hope. Um, went and got a job with World Vision to basically establish a new ministry for children in Australia that really needed additional support from a caring adult and it was an opportunity to help mobilise the church to get really involved in their local community. Okay. And uh, that went on. About 400 churches are now running the Kids Hope program and about 12,000 Australian children have been matched with a Christian adult as their personal mentor. So it was an awesome ministry to be involved in. Fantastic. So Jesus must have had quite a transforming effect upon your life from that early age. Is that right? And if so, could you describe for us in what way did Jesus touch you, affect you? Um, Prior to Christ, I had a low self-esteem, a very low sense of self-confidence and self-worth. I did not care about people. I was happy to use and abuse other people, break into houses, vandalise, etc. And that just seemed like a normal way to go about life, to get attention from other people. Funny thing happened, when Jesus came into my life, I actually started loving people and caring about people. So much so that I wanted to spend my life serving and helping people. So a big transformation. Wow. And I no longer vandalise, which is a good thing. I was going to say, how many years ago was that? Because we've been broken into twice now and I'm just wondering. (laughs) 
Uh, it was in love. <laughs> Tell you what, how have your recent experiences, though, shaped uh, where you are with good dads, great dads? There's a story, like for all of us, we have a story and it makes up the rich tapestry of our lives. But early on when we had children, I was very aware that there would, there'd been some significant gaps left uh, from my own dad in his fathering role of me. I loved him, he got a number of things right, but he left some significant gaps in the way he nurtured me as a son. And he died young, unfortunately. And I wanted to address those things so that I could be an effective dad in my children's lives. So I needed to read the books. I needed to go along to a good dad's, great dad's seminar if there was such a thing. And I wanted to learn because I wanted to be effective. And so I read those. And over the years I applied what I learnt from other experts and, and it was great to be making that investment for both my, my wife and I to be a team, in, uh, both hands-on involved in raising our kids. Over the years, I thought, wouldn't it be great to be able to encourage other men with what I've discovered from these other people and applied and it's working. And I, um, during setting up Kids Hope across Australia, I heard so story after story of a boy or a girl whose dad uh, was no longer part of the family or a dad that was part of the family but was pretty engaged, uh, disengaged, pretty involved in their own life and the children were just crying out for attention and their behaviour, it reflected in their behaviour at school. They were uh, behind the eight ball academically, their self-confidence was down and in not every case but in so many there was this consistent theme of a disengaged dad. Mm. And I thought, I, I would really like to go after that, mm. go after the dads. Yeah. Now, it seems as though the, the gears shifted there and you moved into that space, but you also, in, be, before that, received a bullet like John's described here. Could you tell us how that shaped you and tell us a little bit of that story? Yeah. Um, being at the top, what I felt was the top of my game, leading a national ministry, which I'd never done before, so all of a sudden it was like, wow, I'm leading a national ministry, this feels good. And working closely with someone very influential in Australia, Tim Costello, and I wrote an article or two for some magazines about fatherhood and why dads need to be involved. And I thought, well, it'd be good to keep that going. And um, but right at that time, I went for a routine blood test to check on my cholesterol. My family has bad cholesterol, so every year I go for a routine blood test. Uh, this one on the um, 28th of April 2007, just went for my blood test down here in Bond Street, Ringwood. Monday morning, got a phone call from my doctor's surgery, wants to talk to me about my blood test. I thought, oh, my cholesterol snuck up. So I can remember driving the back roads across to my doctors in Doncaster East and I said, God, if this is something really sinister, something quite bad that the doctor wants to talk to me about, I just want you to know that I feel very much at peace if it's bad news and my time here on earth is up. I'm okay with that. I feel I've lived life to the full. I've turned over every stone I felt I needed to turn over and uh, my priorities were in place. So if it's really bad news, I'm ready for it. And uh, sure enough, it was bad news. My doctor said, Mel, I'm sorry to tell you, you have leukaemia. And I can relate to what John's saying about it just, it's like a bullet penetrating your life, stopping you in your track, 
the next day I saw an oncologist at Box Hill Hospital. I had a, a bio, bone biopsy uh, to con- uh, from the marrow to confirm that I had leukaemia. And the next day I started on chemotherapy and my world, as I knew it, was completely turned upside down. Nothing else, nothing was normal. And for the next five years, I endured a battle with leukaemia. My wife got breast cancer in the second year of my leukaemia battle, which doubled the whammy. Um, I lost my earning capacity. I was on the couch. I wasn't very active or strong as a dad. Um, I couldn't really contribute a lot. And my self-esteem took a beating. And during that time, I managed to just do a bit of part-time work, doing some leadership development coaching, I was at World Vision working with one of their executives, just coaching them in their leadership. An Aboriginal pastor who was on the, from Cairns, who was on the board of World Vision, was down for a board meeting. He needed to borrow my guitar. So I went over, introduced myself, gave it to him and left. At the end of that day, he was walking out the front doors of World Vision and I came out of the side door from the HR door. His taxi was waiting for him out the front to take him back to the airport and he saw me and he said, hey Mal, have you got a moment? And I came over to him and I said, sure, what is it? And he said, when I met you today, God told me something about you and, and I felt I was meant to share it but you were gone and uh, I said that if I get, dear God, if I get to meet Mal again today, I know I'm meant to tell him this. So that, that momentary, momentary chance in, in history happened and he said, when I met you, I, God showed me you have a mantle of fatherhood over your life and I believe God wants you to reach the fathers of Australia and the fathers of many nations. Uh, is that, does that mean anything to you? Can I leave that with you? And I said, sure, it means a lot. Thank you. And... Um, so I just parked that on the back burner and just let it sit there. Um, about 18 months, and then I had a year off not able to work at all. And uh, that was a horrible time in my life, in our life. And when I started to get a little bit of strength and started to apply for jobs and get rejected, I thought, well, if I've only got a few years left, uh, What's something significant that I could do? What do I really want to do? And John touched on this before. You want to think that you've made, you've made some difference in the world. And I thought, well, if I can only do one thing, I want to encourage dads with the importance and the value of their role in their children's lives. Only 10% of Australian men have a close relationship with their dads. And I would like to address that so that future generations, the stats are reversed. So I thought, well, I'm not a technology person, but I'm going to set up a basic blog website. So I did that and I felt very proud of myself. It was on WordPress. Well done. <laughs> a WordPress yeah. site. And I just started sharing my thoughts, my experiences about fathers. Six months in, I had, a whole, I had plenty of time to do whatever I wanted to do. So I sat down. For six weeks, I wrote a book called Good Dads, Great Dads and I didn't have any money to publish that so that sat on my computer for the next year and a half until a friend said, I can help publish that as an e-book on iTunes. So 12 months ago, we chucked it on iTunes 
A few people bought it. In the last two months, someone else has said, we can print that book. And so it's a printed book. It's at the printers now, and I was hoping it would be here today to flog it. Um, (laughs) But it will be here in a week or two. There'll be a pile of them. There's a list there if you want to put your name down. Please grab a copy um, to help me pay for it. Um, But more importantly, to help uh, really invest in your life and your relationships. So just to bring that to a conclusion... Um, I got the statistics at the end of last year from um, WordPress and they said, you have a readership. This is powerful. Of more than two. (laughs) Your mum is reading your blog. (laughs) (laughs) Because if your mum can't, you're doing real bad, okay? It just said you have a readership that spans 83 countries. (laughs) And, and this year, that's pretty well, it's just gone up and up. And so lots and lots of dads and mums out there are listening to what I've got to say. So let's encourage. That's good. Just stay there, mate. Just stay there. That's right. Because <laughs> you, you're apparently going to uh, sing something for us in a minute too. So I'm just going to need you to gargle here for a sec. Because um, one of the things that, I've, as I've heard your story and reconnected with you, Mal, is that you've... The obvious question is, hey, where's God been in all of this? You can testify to a time where there's been darkness, confusion. You can testify to times where you said people have given us, financially have given us so we could keep our house in the midst of all of that and generously that's an expression of God's love from a church community. And you've also talked about saying, you know what, when it comes to sticking with Jesus, I remember the transforming effect he had on my life and I still believe that he lived and he died and he, he rose again. So when I've asked you, why do you stick with Jesus through all of this hardship? It seems to me that you can still point to someone, a God who came and lived, died and rose again and you've experienced him in your life even though you haven't experienced those same things in the last number of years. You said, sure, I've got a way of explaining that or at least talking about that. In fact, I want to sing about it. And so the other day you sang me a song It was actually a really powerful song that expressed something of your story. So have I given you enough time to collect your thoughts? Sure. Good. So you can sing it for us? Yep. All right. Do, do you want to say anything about it just before? Yeah. Put that down there. Yeah. You know, as someone that chooses to follow Jesus, I'm sure you'll relate that there are times when God actually seems fairly close and relevant and very much part of your life and your heart's really you know, bursting with joy for God and you're happy to worship him. If you're normal, you will have experienced times where you kind of feel like you're in a bit of a desert and God can seem very distant and remote and you can even question what you believe. Do I still buy into everything that I bought into when I was a 17-year-old. And so my faith in God has been tested and challenged. And I still wrestle. Today I wrestle with where God is. But I look back on the transformation. Excuse my tears, I am a bit of a sook. Um, I look at the history of Jesus Christ, the 
the proof that exists, and I come back to that, fortunately he is a historical factual figure. I look at um, how God is reflected through nature and through other people and it gives me hope that he is there. I don't feel close to him at the moment. I would like to, but I don't. So, but I know that Jesus has been a huge part of my journey and have been a real source of strength and sometimes that's just come through a few friends that bothered to make the effort to support me. How about you sing for us? I had Troy in my living room the other day and the door was shut so I grabbed the guitar out because whenever I've got a captive audience (laughs) for those of you X-Factor wannabes uh, like myself who watch every X-Factor show Australia's Got Talent The Voice and think about how I could have been one of those people so I'm grateful for a captive audience this morning whether Troy wanted me to sing or not (laughs) I'll only get one song and then I actually get quite a lot of requests about my music, but I keep doing it anyway. (laughs) When my work is done and the night is here love to sit in my favorite chair and think about the day gone by. Sometimes I'm looking through the pages of time, wondering where the years have gone. See a man sitting in the park Silhouetted against the dark And he's trying to find his peace of mind It makes me think about my life And the man that I've become I have to say I'm grateful Cause I am what I am By the grace of the Lord By the mercy I've received in my life Wouldn't want to be without you by my side Jesus, what a friend you are to me My old guitar, a writing pen, my family and some faithful friends, and a 
healthy body and a sound mind. But God only knows I faced some hard times. I wonder how I ever survived. I know that my strength has come from you. Jesus, what a friend you are to me. Yes, I am what I am by the grace of the Lord, by the mercy I've received in my life. Wouldn't want to be without you by my side, Jesus, what a friend you are to me. Oh, Jesus, what a friend you are to me. Oh, Jesus, what a friend you are to me. Yeah, Jesus, what a friend you are. To me.